You're listening to ReachMD, and this is Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Today I'm joined by Dr. Michael Critchman. He's executive director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship in Newport Beach, California, and clinical faculty member of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. Dr. Critchman, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me here today. It's so wonderful to be here. So you delivered a lecture called Sexuality in the Elder Woman. The first question that I think pertains to a lot of our audience and the general public at large is they hear Sexuality in the Elder Woman and they immediately come to a foregone conclusion, which is a total misperception, that sexuality doesn't exist in the elder woman. Can you speak to that? I think you're completely accurate. I think that there's a lot of misperceptions and myths and mysteries surrounding female sexual health. And as women age, the concept really is it's okay for men to be sexualized. And, you know, we can see the Viagra, Cialis, Levitra ads on primetime television. But where are the ads for women? It's a misperception that, you know, as women age, sex is unimportant. And I think that is very critical to women and women who are listening to understand that as they go through the menopause and as hormones change and you may have chronic disease or take medication, certainly sexual health is impacted, but it's certainly not the end. And very important to know that it's a balance between not only sexual medicine and veins, arteries, nerves, and hormones, but also sexual psychology, what's going on as the woman ages, as the relationship grows and changes as well. So I think it's a very important concept to recognize that a woman will spend about 30 to 40% of her life in the menopause and in her latter years, and sex is critical. And I think we need to recognize that sexual health and wellness often leads to general health and wellness. So sex is not just about feeling good and comfortable There are also a lot of hormonal shifts, a lot of changes that are very important and vital. And we know that when women stop having sex or sex becomes less important, it's not uncommon that they have other problems. They may complain of changes in self-image. They may complain of mood disorders and a whole variety of different aspects. So I think it's quite important to recognize that sex is uh, something important. Speak a little bit to these cultural deterrents to sexuality in women in particular as they age. Why are there such cultural deterrents when for men this double standard seems to exist? Well, I think it really has to relate to culture and, you know, as we view and as we change in terms of our conservative beliefs, I think it's very important to recognize that it's okay for men to be sexualized and it's okay for men to have access to erection drugs and talk about those facets. But for women, there's really a double standard and we want to view women as the mothers and grandmothers of our children and grandchildren and very often we're challenged when we see these changes. So we're breaking down barriers. Shianogi, which has a new drug, which is ospemaphine, which is for moderate to severe dyspareunia or painful intercourse due to BVA, a symptom of menopause, they actually have a commercial on television. So it's a nice change. 
Pfizer actually followed suit with a commercial on Premarin vaginal cream or conjugated estrogen, which is also approved for painful intercourse. So the tides are switching and we're now starting to talk about mature sexuality in a couple approach and, you know, really recognize that it's important for both men and women to maintain that level of intimacy and connectedness even as they age. And you talked about sexual psychology. Can you speak about that a little bit more detail? You know, for me, I'm not only a sexual medicine gynecologist, I'm also a certified sex therapist, and I'm also a counselor. So I think it's very important to balance. And we certainly know that chronic disease and medication certainly impact the sexual response cycle, both directly and indirectly. But we also recognize the fact that sexual psychology or privacy issues or changes in financial situation or the interrelationship issues certainly have impact on overall opportunity for sexual function and sexual function itself. For an example, it's not uncommon for a 50-plus woman to still have young children at home. We're delaying childbearing, so children are still at home, so privacy issues are still important. We are now population of DINs, double income, no sex. So we're working longer hours, fatigue and stress is very, very prevalent in our communities with our patients. So those are certainly impactful. We like to think that we're liberated, but we know in the U.S. society, women are still the primary caregivers of children. They are the cookers, the cleaners. They take care of their own family, their in-laws, their extended family. They work in the home, out of the home, and what have you. And very often, sex falls to the bottom of the list. We have time and prioritize to check 75 emails a day and go to the gym. But when we talk about intimacy, we're, we're really talking about a bigger time commitment and what have you. So there's a lot of different factors that certainly influence accessibility and interest and level of interest in maintaining sexual function. Key word being intimacy, it's clearly a far more encompassing term than we like to think of it, especially as we're talking about people who are getting older. Right, and I think that's very important to recognize as you look at a relationship and as the relationship duration increases, we know that sexuality certainly decreases. So when I say sexuality, I mean penetrative intercourse. We still know that as women and men age, they are involved in other activities, which may not include intercourse. They may be involved in non-penetrative activities. They may engage in self-stimulation and what have you. So certainly there's a lot of impact on chronic medical disease and medications and privacy issues and stress and what have you. But we also know that as relationships change, so too does sexual activity change with age. And again, it's also our, our misperception. If you go into any bookstore or magazine store, we don't see the sexy older couple. It's youth and is very much associated with sexual activity and vitality and excitement. And somehow that has lost in the translation as women get older. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz, and I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Critchman. He's executive director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship in Newport Beach, California, and clinical faculty member of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. 
We're talking about sexuality in the elder woman today. And let's talk for a moment about the misconceptions, and let's put it into the context of the clinician's office, because the misconceptions clearly don't stop there. And in fact, sexuality in elderly individuals doesn't even come up in a social history all that often. Can you talk about that, and what are the barriers, and how do we get around that? Well, I think you make a very good point there, and I think that's really important, because I always say, ask your healthcare provider really needs to open up the door and open up the discussion. And we see from the literature that if we wait for our patients to bring forth that information, we'll be waiting for a very long time. So I think it's very important that we ask. We can't treat a problem if we don't know that one exists. And you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So it's not only the clinician. It starts when the phone is answered and the person is making an appointment. And it continues on when they are in the waiting room and they're waiting or they're filling out forms. It's about the words that we use in terms of making people feel comfortable. So again, it's almost as if it's a catch-22 because we feel very much pressured that we have a lot to cover in a short period of time. We're not covering the topics very well. But I think as a clinician, I think it's easy to create a comfortable environment. And the number one thing that I would recommend is that we normalize the problem. I ask all my patients these questions and better to take care of you as a complete person. I tell young, old, married, single, divorced, every patient the same issue that sexual health is a vital component of the human experience. And I'm asking you these questions to better take care of you as a complete person. I think it's important to use open-ended questions, too, and allow the patient to speak. As a clinician, we kind of learn the machine gun effect. Do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have this? Do you have that? How about this? What about that? We don't allow patients to talk. You know, we know that from studies that clinicians interrupt within the first 15 to 17 seconds. So allowing the patient the opportunity to speak is a really vital aspect of the overall assessment. And you can glean so much information from that. So creating a comfortable environment, allowing the patient the opportunity to speak, and really recognizing that sometimes you're not going to get this covered in one visit. You may need to schedule another one. So again, prioritizing and really creating a comfortable environment where women are able to talk is, I I think, the first step in moving forward and gaining equality for what women are doing. I also wanted to mention that, you know, one of the things that we talked about is this discrepancy between men and women. And for me, that's kind of been one of my frustrations because I've seen all the approvals for men and all the availability of choice. So I wanted to let people know about this movement. It's called YourVoiceYourWish.com. And if you go online, you can see a video. It's about healthcare professionals who really want equality for women in terms of sexuality and sexual health. And it's about clinicians and patients and their messages to women. And it's really about equal opportunity and equal choice. And we know that if we treat the man, the woman's sexual function improves. And if we treat the woman, the man's sexual function will improve. But I think it's important to recognize that we need to start advocating for women, recognizing that women's sexual health is a vital component to the overall human experience. What kind of problems do you see in your in your practice that come up despite trying to create as comfortable environment as you can, are particularly difficult for women to really talk about and, and, and disclose? Well, I think that the most prevalent problems really are about sexual pain issues and changes in libido. And those certainly affect not only the woman herself, but also the relationship. We know from several studies that women still engage 
engage in sexual behavior in spite of the fact that it's painful, uncomfortable, burning, and really, really has far-reaching implications on the overall woman's general health, sexual health, and what have you. So I think it's quite essential to recognize that sometimes women are engaging in sexual behavior for a variety of reasons, and in this case, very much to preserve the relationship. And she very often doesn't put her needs before the needs of others. How do you begin to address that problem? Well, again, I think as we talked earlier, I think you need to normalize it and say many women in the menopause or many women with lowered hormones experience changes in the vaginal tissue, which can impact pain. And there are safe, effective treatments that are available. I think women get this false impression that it's hopeless and helpless and there's nothing that they can do to mitigate the symptoms of pain and what have you. You know, it's an exciting time to be in women's health right now. This year, there's been three new drugs approved. There hasn't been new drugs approved in this field in over a decade. Mm -hmm. So it's very exciting that we have new options, new research, new vitality to address the menopausal woman as she ages in a very significant part of her life. And I think as we look at the population, this is going to become really more of a focus in terms of the patients that we're going to be seeing. Excellent points. And it reiterates to me, and I think to many of our listeners, that simply coming into the office and saying, are you sexually active, check yes or no, is not even going to begin to outline what might be a a significant issue such as sexual pain, a pain with intercourse, and a number of other issues that many women are dealing with that go completely ignored because they could answer the question and you haven't really learned a thing. Correct. And I think it's it's also important to recognize that there's barriers on the healthcare professional side and barriers on the patient side. So the patient says, you know, if it was important, my clinician would talk about it. And the clinician also turns around and says, you know, if it was important, the patient would bring it up. So it's almost this conspiracy of silence. And no one's talking about it because everybody thinks that the other person should bring it up. We know that the healthcare professional must bring up the discussion points in order to make the patient feel much more comfortable and access the information. And certainly, we know that there's constraints given the changes in healthcare and time and what have you, but we also know that it really has a large impact on overall general health, quality of life when we address these issues. It really is life changing. Well, with that excellent call to action, I want to thank Dr. Michael Critchman, Executive Director of the Southern California Center for Sexual Health and Survivorship in Newport Beach, California. Thanks so much again. For your thank time. you. Thank you again for having me. It was wonderful. You've been listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. For access to this podcast or any others in our library, please visit ReachMD.com. And thanks for listening.